0: So today we're joined by my castaway, my father, uh, who everybody else knows as Alistair Olford. Born in 1954 on the west coast of Africa, educated at one of the world's most prestigious boarding schools. Alumni including prime ministers and banking moguls. Taking a different path after education, Alistair moved to America to pack crates with potatoes from New York to San Francisco. When a liter of petrol costs the same as a pint and an hour's pay of work. If you ask anyone who met Alistair, they'll all give a variety of adjectives but always in the same tone. Unequivocal in decorum and moral fibre, never wavering in doing what's right and just with the kindness of a gentleman. He has the ability to converse with any human from any background and make them feel genuine self-worth with engaging interest. A loving father and husband who inspires greatness and gives confidence in allowing you to follow your dreams. Welcome,
1: Dad. (laughs) <laughs> I'm blushing like crazy here <laughs> Thank you for that extraordinary introduction I wondered who you were talking about halfway through
0: um, Well I understand, I'm pretty confident in the second half of that introduction the, um, I guess my first paragraph of the introduction is Sort of what I think I know about you and, and guess I know about you um, I'm pretty, pretty, certain.
2: Act-
0: yeah, well, I'm pretty yeah, certain you were born in uh, 1954 <laughs> in Africa
1: You got that right. Yeah, a little country between Ghana and Nigeria, which is now called Benin. It used to be Dahomey, a French colony, but uh, they had a revolution, as they all did, and changed its name back to Benin.
0: So how long were you in Benin for? Uh,
1: Well, I was born there, and then we moved around a little bit. At least grandparents moved around a bit. (laughs) Talk about your grandparents. My parents moved around um, to the French Cameroons and then on to Ghana. So they left in about 1960, 61. Uh, so I was six or seven when we left Africa.
0: So you've still got some memories of growing up in Africa.
1: I have to be honest, not very many. I can remember extraordinarily hot beaches that you couldn't walk on. You had to walk down to the uh, sea wearing your <laughs> little sandals. Um, and I just remember some of the colors and some of the smells. Funnily enough, I was um, in Jamaica some years ago, Um, I was 18, many years ago, and uh, I walked past uh, a baker's and I could smell some cornbread being baked, which immediately took me back to Africa. So the smells, I suppose, still (laughs) evoke those times. But I have to admit, there isn't a huge amount that I can remember about Africa.
0: Uh, and then, um, I guess, after that, onwards to the UK.
1: Yeah, so we came back for good, uh, as I said, when I was about six or seven, um, and we all got very, very cold. <laughs> and, uh, it was strange place. We moved pretty much to Cheshire, um, where I started my primary education, and... Um, yeah, it was because my father had moved back to Liverpool. He worked in Liverpool. We, we lived in Cheshire for about 10 years before uh, we left to go up to Scotland. doesn't seem as if it was that short a time, but on reflection, only 10 years in Cheshire.
0: Wow. So if you were living in Cheshire, then grandfather was in working in Liverpool. How far away is that?
1: It's a fairly short commute. Um, he could get a train from Neston, uh, the little village we were in, and that took him straight into Liverpool and the Liverpool Lime Street. And his uh, offices were in a, a place called India Buildings. I don't know why I should remember that. Um, in fact, I remember it. The, the telephone number of his office was Central 8881. Um, for the John Holt Company. <laughs> I don't know if I ever phoned I must have phoned him a few times, um, or, or my mum did. So I remember that was the number. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't too long a commute for him to get into Liverpool.
0: Oh, that's extraordinary to remember such, his telephone number.
1: Hey, well, I can even remember the number we had in... Well, I, I'm more likely to remember our phone number, which was Neston 34. Uh, that was before you had loads of numbers. Um, so, I don't know what it became after that, less than three, four.
0: So, we're talking this would be middle 60s, middle 60, 64, 63.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, I, well, 64, I'd be 10. So, before that, he stayed with John Holt for a little while, and then he moved to another company in Liverpool, uh, Bibby's, which was a food company. Um, they were the ones that bought a, a chateau. In France, as part of their wine business, so we had the fantastic opportunity to go and stay in a chateau um, all our holidays. You know, we we go over there, Easter's and summers. Um, it was lovely.
0: Right. And so, what was your growing up, your childhood roundabout Cheshire? Is it sort of what it sounds like? Just I imagine it would have been quite a, a a quiet, country, relaxed pace of life back then.
1: Well, it was interesting, I suppose, because it was quiet. Um, i'm the youngest of three, and um, I always looked up to my brother and sister to uh, tell me you know what we should do in terms of games and uh, Neil was all very always very good as my oldest uh, brother. He was very good at working out the games, which either involved cowboys and Indians and beating up my sister, Paul Jane, um, or occasionally Jay and I would gang up against Neil. Fortunately, they never ganged up against me, probably because I was the youngest. But uh, then I had sort of, you know, a few friends and we'd, you know, cycle around the countryside a bit. It, it wasn't all Enid Blyton type stuff, but it was, it was a bit peaceful. There was nothing particularly serious going on. Um, there were no computers, of course, so no internet. Uh, we didn't know what was going on in the rest of the world. And uh, to be frank, I don't think I really knew what was going on anywhere at all. I was in a fairly good dream state most of the time.
0: Well, I mean, this is, a, I guess, a you know, tremendous a tremendous time in the, the world. Civil rights activists going on in America. The um, 60s and hippie movements are happening in You're riding your bicycle around Cheshire with grandma being, I guess, a a stay at home mom and and baking cookies, or what was that like?
1: Oh, well, I I wouldn't say that she was baking cookies. Her cooking was not very good. Um, So she, she, I don't know what she did actually. I mean, she looked after us extraordinarily well. Um, But you're right. It was, the decade of change. And I only really got to understand that at the end of the decade. And um, I learned a lot from uh, my brother who was far more socially aware. And that's when I became um, aware that, yes, we had this Vietnam War and the spillover into uh, the 70s. And, uh, you know, not getting ahead of myself here, but I was in America at the end of 72 going into 73. And in 73 was when the prisoners of war started coming back from Vietnam. And it was a really emotional time in America then. And being there and learning a lot about what the ill feeling was against the government, successive governments, um, from Kennedy to Johnson to Nixon, um, who never really got that the people were so angry. Uh, the, The level of protest was epic um but still they thought well we can't come out of vietnam because it'll not be good for our <laughs> uh, our politics and we'll lose the next election uh, well, that is, was how it always went well,
0: this is interesting because i was wondering so you're you're growing up in the 60s and um towards the end of the 60s this decade of change you say but <laughs> grandmother being very i guess conservative as was grandfather um a leading head in, in his own businesses. And uh, I'm sure some of grandma's views would have been very much right wing and um, historic, especially coming from living the life they did in Africa. So, but grow, me growing up with you as my father has been very, you know, more left wing and very liberal and understanding the way the world is, is quite current to today's thinking. So how did you not inherit that from grandmother and realize that there was a different way of looking at the world?
1: I don't know. Um, uh, Whenever we had dinners, we had dinners a lot, um, and the whole family would sit around the table and we'd discuss the world. So um, my my brother had been in America in, uh, he he did his stint after school for a while. Uh, So that was 68, he was in America. Um, And... That was the time of the Mexico Olympics and the Black Power movement. Um, so Tommy Smith raising his right hand, standing on the top uh, uh, podium, uh, was quite stirring. And I remember talking about that with uh, my father and mother. And your grandma was saying, "Well, that was a silly thing to do." And Neil was saying, "Well, no, it wasn't. You know, th- this is." He's trying to get across the message that there's a lot of bad stuff going on in America. And um, I would side with my brother because he was a cool dude. And Grandma wasn't very happy about that. But I say, well, he's been there. He knows what's going on. And um, I don't know what. Maybe it's just that... And again, I take the lead from my sister, who was also socially aware. And we would talk a lot more about what was going on in the world than my parents and I would. And my my father really kept his own counsel and would offer an opinion when it was asked for, but he didn't try to indoctrinate us. Grandma probably did, but uh, uh, grandfather never did that. And we all went our own way. So yeah, I mean, hats off to the, to my dad for not trying to make us into his image. And I hope I haven't um, <laughs> tried to influence you guys too much. I hope you come to your own conclusions on your own decisions.
0: Well, I definitely think I do. Um, and I appreciate, yeah, the, um, the views and the way we could look at the world growing up. Um, but I think it's time for our first song. Um, why don't we go straight into, I guess, what could be the oldest song on this list, uh, which is an Ella Fitzgerald song. Uh, Mac the knife, um, do you want to give us a quick introduction?
1: I think this is one of the first songs I ever remember hearing because it is old. This was um, off an album she made in Berlin, a concert in Berlin. Um, <laughs> what I did inherit from my dad was a real love for for jazz, and he was a good jazz pianist he uh, He loved everything to do with jazz, and this would play in our house a lot along with uh, the greats of Thelonious Monk, Oscar Peterson, um, and so on and so on. Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, one of the best. So Mac the Knife had to be one of my choices.
0: So that was Ella Fitzgerald and Mac the Knife. Welcome back.
1: Uh, Do you know, I, every time I hear that, I keep thinking, uh, does she make it up as she goes along? I mean, yeah, what's the next line to this song now? This is the one now, I don't know. But I, whether she made it up or not, I don't know. But it's just the, the beauty of that voice always gets to me.
0: I mean, the, the um, was this one of the... Uh, Tracks that you were able to play when you were doing saga or you had more freedom in <laughs> hospital radio
1: oh well, um, I could play whatever I liked when I started out in radio um, in hospital radio, but when I went to um, commercial radio, as you say saga one hundred five point two and subsequently smooth radio, uh, there was a, a massive uh, com- library of songs that were just fed into. Uh, the system. I couldn't make too many changes, but I could occasionally, I could, I could throw in something and the way it works in a radio station, if you call up a a song to be played, it'll let you know if that artist, or even if that song has been played within the previous or is scheduled for the next hour. And if it is, then you're not allowed to play it or you shouldn't play it. We had a few (laughs) exceptions from time to time.
0: I was thinking when we were I was starting this that um yeah you try not to judge me too much um as a professional. Um but then I was also thinking quite lucky that as a, a radio presenter and interviewer you would probably be able to lead the line of questioning and know how to answer a question rather than just a yes no yes no.
3: <laughs>
1: well, I think you're doing very good. I mean the one thing that I'm glad you're not doing. Um is giving the verbal nods, the oh yes, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, which is so annoying if you're listening.
0: <laughs> Let's say, uh, well, we'll listen to this back and we'll realise that I'll be laughing and um, breathing along to all your answers. Um, but where do we, we just <laughs> left? We left off at uh, close to the end of the 60s, and so I mean, you were still in primary school. Had you gone to boarding school yet, or were you day boarding, or?
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I went to boarding school. Uh, well, I started boarding school when I was 12. That was at the primary school, or what we would have called prep school. And then I went to Harrow when I was 13. So that started in the September of 1967. Uh, so, yeah, I had three years left of the 60s.
0: Well, and so then what was Harrow like when you did join the, the high school and went there full time? Was Neil already there or did you go by yourself?
1: Uh, I had one year with uh, Neil, my eldest brother, and we—it uh, was very useful. I mean, he looked out for me. Um, funnily enough, uh, that's when we became very close. Um, up until then, we could annoy each other quite a lot. But I think as soon as I went to, to Harrow, um, he was there for a year. He was the head of house. Um, he was very, very well respected within the school, holding several. Athletics records. You should interview him. <laughs> he is much more interesting. Um, so uh, he was a bit of a hero of the school, and I basked in his glory. It was really, really useful. Um, then, then he left, and it's difficult to describe um, Harrow as anything other than um, if you wanted to study and excel in in any area, you would always get that encouragement. So if you wanted to be a classics scholar, or a linguist, or if geography, history, anything like that was your bag, then you had the best teachers uh, to guide you along how to to be, how to excel. And the same as sport, if you loved cricket, if you loved athletics, um, or rugby, then you had the best facilities. Where it didn't quite work, (laughs) this is in my case, is if you weren't really sure what you wanted to do, if you were... Um, Not focused on a particular goal, then there was nobody there to help you Uh, because they, I think I just slipped through the cracks a little bit. Uh, But in saying that, I had a great time. I really enjoyed a lot of the, uh, definitely the sports. You know, I learned how to play squash and uh, tennis and rugby. Didn't play cricket very much because I thought that was quite dangerous. But uh, athletics, I wasn't, I didn't excel, but I had a great time. playing all these sports and some of the um, <laughs> the academic stuff was quite good i was studying geography and geology so we went on field trips <laughs> out to uh, dorset or the lake district uh, so it was it was a good time and as i said some nice friends that i've um, sort of drifted apart from now but hey we're going back a long time
0: so did your the academic side were you you know getting the grades you needed was there um, you know talks with grandparents of uh hey he's gotta do better in these subjects or was it the education was so good that nobody was at a level of concern
1: um no i think uh my teachers should have been concerned that i wasn't achieving academically very well um and uh, my parents must have been a bit disappointed um i mean because I didn't get the grades I should have got to get into university. So that's um, why after I went to America um, and came back, I went to further education college to get the grades I needed to get into university. So uh, yeah, that was a bit of a joke. to.
0: That's crazy to me. So you, you got, so I don't know how much Harold would have cost, but the, the, The amount of money and effort to get, um, I guess, you grades at the end of it um, didn't work, but ended up a further educational sort of, I guess, TAFE college or technical college got you the grades you needed.
1: Yeah, I know, because then we had teachers who absolutely sat on you and uh, made sure you were studying and they would assess you almost every week. Um, So... At the end of the day, I think uh, Further Education College that I went to gave me a better academic education than Harry did. <laughs> a bit of a shame, that. Um, but yeah, God, I, f- I felt a bit guilty that it cost my parents so much. But I think Harry gave me other um, attributes, gave me uh, other things that I've used on. And as you said in, in the introduction, I think it meant that I was able to talk to anybody, um, get onto people's wavelength pretty well. And stay a bit chilled. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you're sent away from home as a kid to board. You have to get on with other people. Uh, Whether you like them or not, you learn a lot of defense mechanisms, which may or may not be a good idea. Um, I mean, you guys didn't have to go through that. You've developed your own strategies for getting on in life. And I think we were forced into strategies very quickly. Um, And I don't know whether that was good or bad i did miss my parents uh, sometimes um as i'm sure every person who boards does <laughs> well if they don't that's probably a bit of a shame uh, maybe there's something missing but hey that's another story oh.
0: well let's um in case we do run out of time let's um introduce our next song here um with this song i hadn't heard of the song before this is a stephen Stills song although when i googled stephen stills i realized this is part of crosby stills and nash perhaps which i have heard of before um this song is called love the one you're with um what does this song mean to you
1: well (laughs) this, this actually conjures up the whole era of um around about 1968 69 70 um Graham Nash and Stephen Stills. Um, I can't remember if I even put Graham Nash on the playlist. Um, have I got Chicago there? <laughs> maybe you'll have to. Re- it might be coming up. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe I should have got uh, Chicago in first because, or oh, I'll talk about that later. Uh, Stephen Stills, this song, I don't know, just it made me think when I was at school that um, I wasn't romantically involved with anybody when I was at school. Um, We did, in the holidays, um, meet up with other uh, (laughs) girls, uh, people of the opposite sex, which is great fun, but I didn't have a girlfriend. Um, But it always occurred to me that if you're away from home, if you're on your own, if you're missing people, then the the song itself is more about the music than the lyrics. Um, And I think Stephen Stills was probably a little underrated as part of Crosby Stills and Nash um, and it was just a, a nice song um, so there okay, here we go if
2: you're down, try crying over a good time to have. There's a girl right next to you, and she's just waiting for something to do. And there's a road in the fisted The one you will love, the one you win.
0: And that was uh, love the one you're with uh, by Stephen Stills although the version I've got here says Crosby Stills and Nash so I do hope it was the correct one I was playing
1: a <laughs> <laughs> no. no, good version good version I like that you know sometimes they get together um, and play together so yeah a, any version is good by me
0: it was interesting before when we were talking about uh, you leaving school to you know go to this further education college and I remember for myself coming into my last year of high school um, doing about, you know, I think I was doing advanced higher physics and one other subject and not doing much there. And the sort of the push that you, you, I think you filled out the application form for me to go to the interview at Cardinal college and really drove me to, you know, I don't know how even how it was sort of like, Oh, this is sort of what you should maybe just go, go here on Wednesday and sort of, I went, I did the interview. I had the chat. They were like, yes, we want you to, you know, be part of our college. Um, and that was it. I left high school and off I went. And that was such a driving force from you. Um, were you thinking back to your own situation when you <laughs> helped make that decision for me?
1: Um, I, I I have to say that I, I don't have, no, I, I knew from um, when you were much, much, much younger that um, you had a, an artistic talent, and that was without a doubt when you went to uh, <laughs> drama classes, um, and you enjoyed it. And, um, you know, what, what I love about you and your siblings, that you all have an artistic ta- talent, whether it's dance, whether it's music, in your case, it's uh, film, and your career path is 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 pretty well defined. But I think it was pretty well defined... In my head, uh, when you were early teens or even 11 or 12. So um, uh, encouraging you to go to Cardonald to start that path was an option that um, allowed you to pursue other options. Um, and I, I, it was always an option. It was never going to be, this is what you should do. Um, hey, consider this. So I'm delighted. I mean, Cardonald was uh, College was for you brilliant and they were very supportive i was very impressed with them
0: yeah no i'm I'm very very grateful i made that choice um and did leave when i left and um again thanks to the the push and support of um you and mum
1: i have to say though that um maybe hindland secondary school wasn't so happy that you left in the way you left because i seem to remember you left an open carton of milk in your locker and to hell with the five pound deposit on the key you just kept that <laughs>
0: oh that was that was more to uh, annoy my friend ian who had the locker beside me <laughs> um so we've just left so we've left we've left Harold. um so did you go to america straight away go and live with henry for a bit um, um or did you go to further education straight away what was that actually yeah talk me through the graduation of high school and the sort of choices of what you were going to do next
1: okay well i think um yeah school would have finished around about june um june or july in england and then my chris and i got on a train and went to greece (laughs) for a month um And then we got the results of our A-levels, which were not very good. (laughs) And um, I think even if I'd passed them with flying colors, I would still have gone to America. So, um, uh, it was arranged that i go and stay in Connecticut with friends of my parents. And uh, I went off there in September, which was a great time to go to uh, Connecticut because the colors of autumn um, were absolutely beautiful. And it was a nice... Anyway, well, gosh, I was only eighteen, and I was pretty naive, and I think that um, putting me into that situation was not ideal, but what else was I going to do i mean i uh, I'd lived a life of being told what to do, and i didn't really think for myself <laughs> very much um, and I looked up to my brother or my sister, or my parents, to guide me, so I just did what I was told, um, which may sound a little bit stupid in on reflection or by somebody else listening to this, but that's just what happened. Um, So it was um, a few months in Connecticut and then off to California for a bit. And then I came back um, in the March, I think it was. And, um... You know, again, getting ahead of ourselves because there's another song coming up, which uh, was really significant in the March of 1973. But we'll talk about that another time, I suppose. So that was a sequence of events. Um, I got to America and then when I came back, um, I actually had been put in for some um, hires, Scottish, um, almost equivalent of A-levels by my mother. She signed me up for hires at the local high school. and talk about that later but then in the august i went on to further education so
0: yeah because i remember a story of, of um jane telling me that when she finished in her high school that um she didn't have quite the plan of what she wanted to do next um, but grandmother said well you're not sitting around the house or pulling or your thumb so off to the south of france you go and go live with this family for a bit
1: that's absolutely right. I mean, Jane was uh, swithering. Um, she wasn't too sure. And uh, in fact, it wasn't the south of France, it was north of France to Lille. And uh, that was it. Jane was packed off. And but because she had no other plan, she couldn't argue the toss. So she actually said, Well, okay, which was great. I mean, she went there and she became fluent French. And that has seriously helped her in, this, in her career. So, um, y- you know, we, we may. Uh, be irked slightly by our parents, whoever they are and whatever they do. But um, whether they're misguided or not, they will always have your best interests at heart. (laughs) And I'm sure my parents did, as do yours. Uh, We don't always get it right, but we do our best. And certainly, a lot of the time it works out.
0: So with your, with your handful of hires, what next then you, um, does a career opportunity opened up or where did you go (laughs) after
2: that?
1: Well, I went to Liverpool university. Um, and (laughs) that's when I was convinced that academia was not for me. Um, I had a, a a jolly good year with, and met some really nice people in Liverpool and, um, then thought, well, now this ain't working out. So, um, left Liverpool, and I started work for Real with a multinational textile company um, and ended up with the investments department as an analyst playing in the stock market. That was quite interesting for a while, but like most things, um, even that got a little bit boring. So, I, I then left there, but um, yeah, we're now taking ourselves up to about 1980. So, well, why don't um, we
0: um, jump into um, our next song line, Um before we get too far ahead. Um, although, I mean, looking at these lists of songs, um, uh, they could, um, in my <laughs> mind, be associated to any era. Um, but uh, let's go for um, Chicago by Graham Nash. What does this song mean to you?
1: Well, yeah, we flash back a little bit to 1968, and uh, this was... Yeah, I'm totally aware of how significant this was for America at the time. The Democratic Convention, which was held in Chicago, um, uh, attracted a lot of protests around the Vietnam War. And um, the the government knew it was going to happen. Uh, Chicago knew it was going to happen. So loads more police were drafted in to man the streets and the National Guard. And it was a bit of a, oh gosh, almost a, a war went on on the streets of Chicago. I'm amazed that just as we're speaking about this, um, Eddie Redmayne is going to start in a film about the Chicago seven. So I'm looking forward to that. But seven people were arrested. Um, they were put in prison and a, a year or two later, their ch- uh, they were released because the, the appeals were upheld. But it's so bad that one of the um, Chicago Seven whose lawyer was dismissed, uh, or who was ill, he wanted to defend himself, but the judge said, no, nah, you can't defend yourself. This guy kept protesting, and the judge said, right, chain him to a chair, gag him, and we'll carry on. So imagine, this, the human rights were just thrown out the window in this court case. And so Graham Nash wrote this song trying to encourage and uh, draw attention to the fact that this was going on in Chicago at the time. So, yeah, this means a huge amount, not just to me, but to the feeling of protests.
4: So your brother's bound and gagged And they've chained him to a chair Won't you please come to Chicago just to sing In a land freedom how can such a thing be fair won't you please come to chicago for the help that we can bring
0: is Chicago by Graham Nash, another one of the Crosby, Stills and Nash crew. Um, it's interesting, you're telling me what that song means in the world, but also what it means to you. Um, surprisingly, it takes me back to my introduction of you um, when I said never wavering and doing what is right and just uh, with a kindness. Because you are, you love a campaign. Um, if there's an injustice in the world, whether it's small or large, um, you'll fixate and want to Write a strongly worded letter, whether it's on a car windscreen or whether it's trying to take a multinational through the court system.
1: Oh my goodness me! Yeah. Um, well, yeah. We we all ought to have that, and I'm sure we do. If it, if it, if there's a bottom line that's getting crossed, then um, to mix my metaphors, then we should feel something, and I'm sure we all would. I mean, if if we felt there was an injustice, then. Uh, we would speak up it 's about what is what you think you can do and what you can 't do um, so if there's if you cannot change the world f- for one reason or another then don't don't worry about it, but if you think you can make a difference then then do what you can and uh, you've <laughs> nothing else you 'll feel better for having tried and we've made a few changes, and um i 'd like to say that. Yeah, I've done a few things. I've written a few letters that have made a difference. Um, and I'm I'm pleased for it. And Whenever that happens to you, maybe it will one day, then yeah, go for it. And where did that instinct
0: come from, do you think? Is that grandfather coming through you or is that the the other attributes you said you've sort of picked up along the way from Neil or looking at what was going on in the world as you were starting to think for yourself in a way?
1: I think, yeah, you probably... You're probably right. I think grandfather was unwavering in doing the right thing and knowing what was right and wrong. Um and I never found a conflict with your grandfather, my dad. Um, he would I would I would never think that's wrong. You know, he's he said that and he's doing that. There was never, ever, ever an, uh, an occasion when that happened. So I I think I've always modelled on him. I thought, well, if I could be like my dad, then I think I'm halfway to being pretty good. And I think I don't don't think he's always looking over my shoulder, but I sometimes think, oh well, he'd be pretty proud if uh, he could see that part of me. Um, And of course, uh, kudos to my sister, who was always uh, one for advocating. The rights of people, um, and I don't know. We we just talk about things, and we encourage our, each other, and we get a better understanding of the world from each other. and I, I like that. So, yeah, maybe it's something to do with father. <laughs> hey, this could be a good link about fathers and sons.
0: <laughs> do you, well, did, when did you did you realise, or do you realise that that is quite unique? Um, you know, speaking to people like um, John Abbott. Uh, who, you know, you know, was coming into our family as a, a little bit of an outsider. Um, he talks so warmly about grandfathers, open arms and welcoming um, manner, and the same with you know Auntie Alex from Mum's side. It is very unique, and that unique way of the world is very unique for you as well. Do you um, do you get that?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, uh, everybody, all of my friends who ever met my parents. Uh, have always said, wow, you know, I'm really proud of that. And I, I've, I feel I should take credit for that, but of course I can't. Um, I'm just uh, really proud and delighted that everybody who met uh, your grandfather and grandmother were just bowled over by how welcoming and how nice they were and how considerate they, they were of of everybody around them. And they always had... I mean, grandfather always had good advice, um, and he would never say, "You should do this." He'd say, "You could do this." And in your situation, maybe I would." Um, but he never said, "This is what you must do." He laid out the options, and you ended up realizing that he just he could see very clearly um, what was right, wrong. Um, hey, he's somebody who I never beat at chess. He was the master strategist. So that's another reason I always felt that uh, he knew what he was talking about.
0: Uh, Well, let's uh, go then straight to our next song, Um, Cat Stevens, um, Father and Son. We'll talk about the song when we come back. So that was uh, Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Um, what is, so I, that? what does that song mean to you?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I grew up with uh, um, a liking of a lot of, um, I, I suppose they were a bit namby-pamby at the time. I love Donovan. Um, I love Cat Stevens. And some of my friends were, you know, going for the, the hard rock type stuff, uh, the Rolling Stones cream. But I like them as well. Uh, but. Kudos to Cat Stevens because when I came back from America in 73, as I said before, my my mum would sign me up for hires uh, when I got back and um, one of them was um, history, one was geography and one was English. So history was a period that I'd never studied before, and I had two weeks <laughs> to, to revise. Uh, she didn't tell me this until I came back. Then uh, geography was of an area of uh, the world that I'd never studied, so that was out the window. But I thought, oh, English. I, I've read a few books, and I saw the reading list, and I thought, okay, I've, I've read some of those, so I'll sit this paper. And So the English lit was one thing, the English language was another. And when I sat down for the exam, there was a section on poetry, which I'd never done. Um, I thought, I don't don't know any poems. So I came up with a cunning plan of writing out the words to father and son, Cat Stevenson. And um, the... I think the question was along the lines of write out and discuss a poem that is relevant to society at the moment or something naff like that. So Father and Son was relevant and I wrote an essay about it. And um, when I got the results back, I got an A in my English hire. So A, thanks Cat Stevens. You helped me there.
0: There we go. The uh, music is helping you along your career path that it would, I guess, one day become your career. Um, so, you've left the stock market, you've decided that's not for you. Um, what's next?
1: Oh, well, I, I joined local authority um, and it was the biggest local authority in Britain, Strathclyde Regional Council, now disbanded. It was, um, it was a bit boring, I have to say. I was working in developing businesses, small businesses, which is how I met your mother. So. Um, I can't knock Strathclyde for for everything, because if it weren't for that, then, hey, you wouldn't be around. Um, So a long time ago, um, back in 1988 is when I met uh, Karen, your mum. But the the work was not particularly good. And um, shortly after we got married, that's when I decided that I can't stay with local authority anymore. I'll either have a nervous breakdown or I'll get, bored to death. So that's when I went self-employed.
0: So, um, so that that was the the move to Glasgow, um, or were you already in Glasgow doing your stock market?
1: Yeah, I was already in Glasgow. Uh, the textile company was a company called Coates Patons, um, and their headquarters were Glasgow. They, they were a, a Paisley company, actually, for those who know Scotland, and headquarters in Uh, St. Vincent Street, Glasgow, which is where I was based in their investments department. Um, That was actually a bit weird because I I was given 10 million quid to to play around with out of the pension fund. And um, I had to invest that in different (laughs) companies, whether I thought they were good or bad. But unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to invest uh, more than 1%, 1% of a company of its market capitalization, just to get a little technical. So I could only invest in huge companies and I couldn't invest less than um, 500,000 at any one time. So I had about, actually no, it was more than 10, it was about 20 million quid that um, I had to play around with, which back in 1980 was, I suppose, a fairly significant amount of money. Um, but it was it was easy. It was um, nothing particularly dramatic happened. Uh, met a few nice people, and then I moved on to uh, work with helping smaller businesses, which was much more fun. Um,
0: and when you moved to Glasgow in the eighties, did you think this is going to be my home um, for the next forty years?
1: So far? actually, no, no, because I joined Coates Patents, because they had a um, uh, some sort of reputation for sending their Uh, management trainees all around the world, uh, which sounded great. But when I joined them, they changed that policy and they very much wanted to keep um, the uh, people who joined them in the country where they joined. So they were using far more local talent than they ever used to, which actually made sense. So having expected to go to South America or Far East Asia, um, that didn't happen. And I got stuck in Glasgow. I went around uh, Britain a bit. I mean, they sent me to, to Dublin. <laughs> that was great fun. Six months there. Year in Leeds, six months in London. A uh, little time in uh, Derbyshire. That was really boring. Um, and then back to Glasgow where I had my roots. And I think uh, that's when I realized I am pretty much a Glaswegian.
0: Well, um, <laughs> I think as far away from Glasgow as we could possibly get because I think I was struggle to pronounce the um next song. So why don't you introduce um the next um
2: song from France?
1: <laughs> okay, this, this is Nicole Croisille, aujourd'hui c'est toi. Um this comes from a, a song a, a film, A Man and a Woman. Um and again, uh, influenced by my dad, um he played this on his eight track <laughs> player in his car all the time. Um it's quite a sweet film. and uh, the music by Francis Le is is beautiful and uh, this particular song with Nicole Croisier with such a beautiful voice is sort of typically French and um, I've always thought yeah this is sweet and just makes me feel quite happy so here's Nicole Croisier
6: moi Nous vivons dans depuis longtemps, longtemps Ont le rythme des rues Parmi tous ces regards Qui se croisent et défilent Les nôtres par hasard Cesse d'être inconnus Aujourd'hui c'est toi Aujourd'hui c'est moi Aujourd'hui l'amour Nous a pris par le bois. Et tant pis si ça va trop vite Puisque l'amour nous invite A vivre éperdument Ce qui nous va trop vite puisque l'amour nous invite à vivre et perdre ce qui nous attend
0: And that was Nicole Kwasi. Um So well, now we're back. So we've, you've been through a few bits of dollars. Well, you're back in Glasgow now. You said earlier, you you know, you, it was hard to get your first girlfriend um, through <laughs> an all-boys school. And you, you've obviously done a, quite a lot of traveling up until this point until you have now thinking about having roots. Um, was there a strain of broken hearts along the way or <laughs> nothing serious <laughs> at all?
1: I, <laughs> that's a terrible question to ask. Um, I I I don't know how to answer that because the I did not have very many romantic entanglements, um, and I'm sure that was not what uh, other people thought. Uh, apparently, I had a reputation at Strathclyde region of being a bit of a ladies' man, watch out for Alistair, you know, which was rubbish, absolute rubbish. Um, I don't know where that came from. So, um, no, I had a fairly sheltered life, and um, I don't think I can say much more than that. I I don't know whether there were any broken hearts. I don't think I understood what it was like to fall in love until I met uh, your mum. And then it's like, boing, this is... This is amazing. This is this is what it's all about. So So how did that um, happen?
0: I know that she um you were helping at her small business of um making fake garden gnomes. Um,
1: uh, well hey, hang on a minute. There aren't very many real garden gnomes. <laughs> no, true, true, true. <laughs> Uh, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, she, uh, she uh, Karen, her sister Alex, had uh, set up a business manufacturing garden gnomes, but Scottish ones. So they all had kilts. So they were really cute. And um, uh, my department within Strathclyde supported small businesses, and my job was uh, administering a grant scheme to help support unemployed people back into the workforce. So um, I had the, the link with. Karen, who was uh, pretty much the financial director of the company. And um, so we had a lot of work to talk about in work. And it was a bit interesting that even though she is the smartest person I know (laughs) when it comes to finances, um, she always needs to ask me one or two questions that probably involved my having to visit the company to uh, sort things out. So uh, yeah. We got to know each other, and um, one day I plucked up enough courage to ask her out for dinner. It's the first time I ever asked anybody out for dinner, funnily enough, and uh, the rest is history.
0: Wow! And then, so how long were you dating before the proposal happened?
1: Um, it was about a year. Um, so yeah, we started dating in the September of eighty-eight, and I think I proposed in the August of eighty-nine, and we got married in nineteen
0: ninety. Left. Um, the boring government job, um, I think on the eve of your wedding and decided that this is when radio
1: is your passion.
0: Is that is that true? Or was it just wanted to do anything but a boring office job?
1: <laughs> well, a boring office job. Yeah, th- that went. And I, I struck out on my own as a business consultant. And this was a bit strange. Um, and very quickly, I found out that helping businesses wasn't really a very good idea because the problem was more with the people. So I then went through training. I trained up in neurolinguistics, Myers-Briggs before that, to help develop the individual. So rather than becoming a a company's business consultant, I became uh, the personnel consultant to help develop people within a business. But Because my business wasn't taking off very quickly, I um, went on a a short course at uh, Ananisland College where I learned a bit more more about film. Because as you know, I've always been interested in film. So there was a course, uh, a few modules on film production and interpretation. And as part of that, there was a radio Uh, production module which I went on and when I did that it was like whoa this is so cool because we had to produce a radio program and that's when I got the bug and that's when I uh, with my mentor at the time Eric Simpson um, got involved in hospital radio that led on to um, a strange five-year career in radio um, which (laughs) which has stopped but who knows it might come back one day
0: so this is so this is this sounds like a risky time, though, because um, this would have been I would have been born just um, when you were at Annie's Land College and maybe Elliot as well, not far behind me. So two very small children, a career change and learning new tricks at a college was that a lot of pressure.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, I have to say, you know, um, that's why I've gone incredibly grey and lost a lot of hair. We must be mad. However, I look back on it and I think if I'd stayed with the government, local government, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown and would not have been happy. Striking out on my own and with um, your mum also working. So we were both working part time. The huge advantage was that we were able to job share the kids. Um, So um, when I had to go away on business, fine, at least uh, your mum was there to look after you and vice versa. So um, it worked really well in us both being around to to raise you guys. But yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of money coming in, um, much less than was when I was working with local government. But at least we had our sanity and uh, we enjoyed a pretty good lifestyle um, of not very much money, but being around with each other and you guys. So um, there's, there was a huge plus in that and there was n- never any regret that um, it was it was the wrong thing to have done.
0: So the, um, the, the frugal lifestyle um, was worth it because you had more time at home and more time for sort of, each other and I guess, something you were enjoying doing for once.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it was funny because that's when I found a passion, um, that I found that radio stuff was so cool. And what I loved really so much about it, and I, I think I must have been pretty stressed at the time, because I found that when you're in a radio studio um, presenting a program, you are in total control. Nobody is allowed into that room without your permission. And you can pretty much do what you like. And if you get it wrong, you get fired. But (laughs) if you get it right, uh, you are in control. And that's what we all need a little bit of uh, to keep our sanity and keep our stress levels down. The more we feel that we are in control of something, um, then the better it is for us. So for me, sitting in a studio and having that control, which can be sometimes a bit scary because you can make a mistake, you can flummox what you're thinking, trying to say, um, you can get a bit distracted. So there are things that can go wrong. You can hit the wrong button um, and you can disconnect everything. But knowing that there's that danger raises the adrenaline, but also it means that you are in control and it's Good for the uh, the psyche, definitely.
0: Um, That's so interesting. Yeah, you'd think going into a radio station having you know fifty plus thousand listeners um, listening to just you um, would be stressful, but I guess you're right. Having control in your life would ease stress. Um, So having that total control could be um, not as stressful. Um, But let's um, let's um, jump on because our next song here. um, My memory of this song is. Um, Aaron actually being the one To introduce you to this one uh, Even though it is a song That I would imagine would be um, Quite in keeping with all the other songs We've listened to so far Towards the end of the 60s and early 70s
1: um, Funnily enough I mean, I guess we're talking about Credence Clearwater um, it, it was like um, Wow, why haven't I really connected With this song before And First of all, it's the the tune that strikes me um, when I get to, to know a song. And then it it's the lyrics. I mean, the lyrics in this are a bit barking mad, but um, it's, it was written when Creedence Clearwater were falling apart. It was all going wrong for them. And I think there's a bit of confusion in the way it was written. And um, I, I love the fact that that's one way that you can purge the problems of your life, write a song. And it doesn't really matter if it doesn't make any sense. Um, the sense does come through because it's so confused. And if you listen to the lyrics, it, they are a bit barking mad, but it's a really good song. And I, I was so taken with it. I mean, I, I don't learn many songs these days. As you know, I play the guitar. And I thought, no, this is one I'm going to have to learn. So I, when you learn a song, to play it and to sing it, you connect much more deeply with that song. And so I connected on a peculiar level, and I don't quite know why, because I don't think I'm that confused. Um, and my life is pretty good. Um, but it wasn't for Clearance Clearwater when this came out.
0: All right, well, let's listen to these um, interesting lyrics um, that you can play on the guitar, but let's listen to Clearance Clearwater's version and not your own. was uh credence clearwater's version of um have you seen the rain um so we're coming back so you've yeah you've got your new careers kicking off you're in a great place you've got three children now and everything's going well and we're getting towards the end of the 90s i guess and early 2000s so this is i don't know i'm trying to think of how best to you know segue different milestones into your life but uh, we must be getting close to the end of um An inspiration in your life, um, which is your father and grandfather. Was there signs coming that this was going to happen?
1: um, Yeah, I mean, I think it was 2007 um, that I learned that grandfather had cancer. And um, it was, I don't know, it did come as a huge shock. uh, and I was, oh my goodness, <laughs> you expect your dad to live forever, but in the back of your mind, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, but I thought, oh, hang on a minute. He's, um, he's only 71. Um, this should not be the case. So was he 71, something like that? 81. I'm trying to remember now. He's born in 26, um. No, he was coming out, he was 81. So at 81, he was, he was still <laughs> quite young in some eyes. But from his point of view, it's like, crikey, this is epic. I never expected to live this long. His dad died um, when his, uh, his, his, well, my grandfather was 63, I think, when he died. So to live to 81 was good. However, he did last another three years. So um, he, he lasted a lot longer than anybody thought. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it was a, f- a tough time. And I, I reflect on the th- my biggest biggest regret is not having spoken to him more about uh, why he did things, how he did things. And, you know, one of the weirdest things was that um, I've got all his passports. He's kept every passport he's ever had. And it was around about when he was 40, 30 or 40, he changed his name. From Frederick David Alford to David Frederick. I'm like, whoa, what happened there? Um, so, was he called Frederick when he was young or was he called David? And he just had David as a middle name when he changed to. So, I wish I'd spoken a lot more about some of the stupider things in life rather than the more deep and meaningful. Um, and yeah, so passed on in 2010, that's 10 years ago now. And the last 10 years have just been a case of oh, well, I wish I could have spoken to you about this, um, you know, a little bit of advice here and there would have helped. But, you uh, know, we all go through.
0: Because the, um, I guess I remember at the time and um, I guess any other sort of things that happened growing up is there's quite a lot of stoicism that um, is, I guess, is part of our upbringing is, I guess, they, they keep calm and carry on. Or, or if a bad situation happens, is um, it's think about it but be able to see it in a different light or understand it. And so it's very, it's not a, I guess we weren't quite a, a wallowing family in a way which, so I guess the sadness or the, the shock of him passing is sort of more after the fact of reminiscing in a way.
1: Yeah, that's actually, that's very interesting. Um, I mean, at the time, because we knew it was going to happen, um, we'd already put ourselves into, well, I put myself into the grief mode and probably come out of it. And, um, I come out of it whilst he was still alive. So when he did die, um, it wasn't a shock and I had prepared for it. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and I'm, I'm still in two minds and I think it probably was a good thing. And I think I, I would. Um, probably want to be able to have that as well. Somebody said, look, you've got three years to go, then um, you can put everything in order. You can think about things, do things. You wouldn't waste time reading the wrong sort of books. (laughs) So, um, yeah, get on with what's important now and maybe have some of those conversations you should have had about why you changed your name. Um, I wish he'd done that. So." Yeah, there is a bit of stoicism, and I think we've, well, I've learned that from um, my father that, hey, this is life. I mean, the guarantee is that you're going to die. So, um, And as he said, he did everything he wanted to do. They had great holidays. They had a lovely life. They had three great kids, loads of grandkids. Um, My work here is done, and let's get on with what might happen after that. Who knows what it might be?
0: All right, well, let's um, jump straight in uh, to our next song, uh, which is Nora Jones' Um, Don't Know Why.
7: I waited till I saw the sun I don't know why I didn't come I left you by the house of fun I don't know why I didn't don't know why I didn't come When I saw the break of day I wish that I could fly away Instead of kneeling in the sand Catching teardrops in my hand My heart is drained Oh
0: Nora Jones, don't know why, and, and chatting um, while that song was playing, you don't know why you picked that song. <laughs> or what do you? Or can you remember why we put that in? Why? Why is this? Why is that song coming on the desert island with you?
3: I,
1: I don't know. I mean, every so often, I mean, I, I say to Google Home, "Hey Google, play Nora Jones, don't know why." Um, <clears throat> or I've got it on a. I've got it on a CD, um, which I play in the car. Actually, it's the memory stick of some of my favorite songs. Uh, she just has a sweet voice and it's, I don't know much about it other than this is a tune I like. Um, I, I'm not even sure about the lyrics other than it says, I don't know why, but it just, it's a, it's a good sound. So this is, um, a shallow a meaningless song, which probably means a lot to somebody else, but I just love the sound of it. And I was also quite taken with the fact that she's the daughter of a very famous sitar player, Ravi Shankar, who um, did some work with the Beatles, uh, George Harrison, especially. Uh, Sadly, Ravi Shankar and Nora Jones have had a bit of a rift, so they don't really speak to each other, Um, a bit like Angelina Jolie and, and her dad. Um, they don't John Voight famous actor they don't speak to each other they've had falling out so um, maybe there's something there that uh, if anybody wants to analyze me like well at least that hasn't happened to me I've always had a good relationship with my parents and um, as parents ourselves we've had good relationships with our kids so long may that continue. Mm.
0: So I guess yeah we are getting um, closer to the present day now and yeah speaking of the kids we're all in our going through high school and um, starting to, yeah, look ahead at our higher educations. Well, what would you say the hardest part of all that process was of, I guess, the, the children raising?
1: <laughs> That's, um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's been that difficult. Um, um, Erin, your sister, was talking about this a couple of days ago. Um, she asked, when have you felt closest to each of you three, Murray, Elliot, and Erin. And I think I feel closest to you at the moment. Um, And we've had, um, I don't think we've had any issues that have been a problem, certainly not from my mind. Um, And I've loved that you've adopted a career in... um, a field that I've, I've loved to be involved in. I mean, I, as you know, I love film. Um, Elliot has taken up um, my love of of reading fantasy and science fiction. Um, Erin has taken up music. She can sing, play the guitar, play the piano. So um, we have a connection, which I think it just grows every year. So I don't think there's a moment when um, it was better or there was a greater connection um, And I just think it's great that it it continues to get deeper and deeper the older everybody gets. And there have been no family rifts. Um, The hardest thing, I think, was coming back from the hospital (laughs) when you were born. It's like, oh, my goodness me, we're parents. There's nobody here to help us. Because all of your grandparents were out of Glasgow. So the toughest thing was the realisation that we are so responsible for a baby. And that was scary. That was really, really scary. And I thought that um, I didn't know how I was going to cope. But hey, fortunately, uh, we had your mum around that, uh, you know, <clears throat> coats with everything.
0: Well, that's it, because you didn't really have a, an inner circle as such up here that you could lean on, um, at least family-wise. Everybody else either down in London or the Cotswolds or, um, I guess in mum's case, really just Alex up the road.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, Alex hadn't had any kids. And, um, I think you'd look after her a lot better than she would look after you, you know, you were six years old. Um, I think that, um, fortunately, um, we met people in the hospital who were able, we're in the same boat and, uh, we could draw upon their experience, uh, as well as them drawing upon ours. And how about this? How do you get them to sleep? How do you get them to eat? How do you do all of this? And it was, well, we got through it. I mean, all three of you survived. So I think um, that's plus point from our point of view.
0: Um, great. Well, as we uh, again come to our last selection, um, again, an older song that you um, tell me that you have just recently discovered in a way. Um, as of high in my um, current current work with this song has just come across my desk as well. Um, so, again, what does this song mean to you if you've just found, discovered it now?
6: Well, it, it,
1: this is a weird song. I mean, uh, Elvis Presley, um, if, I, if I Could Dream. It was written after Martin Luther King was killed, um, but that's not why I chose it. I, I, I sort of read about it after that after I got to hear it and like it. Um, The way he sings it, uh, if you see a video of it, um, is him, he's putting everything into the song. As a performer, he was extraordinary, um, especially in his early days. I mean, I I think it was a bit of a shame when he got a bit bit beyond it, and he he didn't look so good, um, a, a ropey looking performance. But in his day, He performed brilliantly and he engaged the audience and he had a phenomenal voice, a really extraordinary voice. So anything he sang was pretty good um, as long as it was sort of a good song. And this was a good song and um, uh, the way he puts it across and and it it gives us, um, you know, you can take a lot out of it, whether it's it's good or bad. It can uh, you can identify it on a lot of different levels, uh, whether you're feeling depressed or whether you're feeling up. Um, and because I only came across it in the last six months, I thought, yeah, at the moment this is a song I think uh, would be in my playlist. It may change next year. I'll I'll probably find something else, maybe from the sixties. So th- there's a lot of music out there still to be listening to, and I quite like that. First of all, I can find new music. My friends introduce me to m- new music, and um, of course, you guys, and especially Erin, because she's here in Glasgow. She's always learning and hearing new music that she uh, puts my way. So, again, big thanks for that.
0: Well, that's. I think this is such a perfect song to finish on um, before. I think we should play out with this song. So, before I do, let you go. Um, if you know you've got, a, you're on your island. You've got these discs that you're listening to and they're all getting washed away into the ocean and you need to save one of them from the waves which one are you going to pick?
1: Oh my goodness me um, uh, one of these I would have to keep well I think it would be the sweet um, Nicole Croisi because yeah it's, it's a sweet song and I, I like it <laughs> so, I'll choose that one
0: Brilliant. Well thank you so much for um, yeah, doing this um, sort of hour plus long chat. This has been fantastic. Oh, um, I just
1: remembered uh, am I not, are you going to ask me if I've got a, what special things I want to keep on I this could island? that's
0: true. Could just, actually, well, it's true because I am going to lead you on this island with um, the complete works of Shakespeare uh, and the Holy Bible. Um, so you're allowed to take with you one other book and one luxury item.
1: Well, um, the yeah you know, the books are so so meaningful, and I think there are dozens I would want to take, but I probably at the moment I take a book that I haven't read for a long time I've read a couple of times when I was younger, so I'd like herman hess's um the glass bead game um that I read back in my twenties and uh, it was quite significant uh, again, you know thanks to my big brother Neil, who put me on to herman Hess um so I just read all of his stuff but Herman Hesse got a Nobel Prize for this particular book. It's quite interesting, so I'd like to reread that and it, it's probably got a lot more to it than I remember from the, the, uh, when I was in my 20s. So I'll take Herman Hesse's The Speed Game. Luxury item. Um, this had me perplexed because if I'm allowed a snooker table, with everything that goes with it. It's got to be inside a room, of course. So it's not on a desert island where it can get rained upon. And if I've got some lights that can go over the table, I've got the cues and I've got chalk and all that. Give me that and I'll be happy trying to learn how to play snooker better than I ever could do. I could only manage to put about three balls in a row. So, Absolutely. okay, I'll take the snooker too. <laughs> I'll
0: give you, you can have uh, unlimited cues and unlimited um, chalk and a, a series of balls and a whole room for it to go into a snooker hall if you like uh, and with your Herman hess novel to <laughs> see you going um all right well let's uh play as it so this is elvis presley if i can dream thank you very much and here we go <laughs>
3: The answers, answers gonna come somehow, out there in the dark.